Next Sunday, we begin to launch into our new uh, mission and vision. So we've been talking for, uh, golly, the whole summer about how KPC as a church, we have reorganized ourselves ourselves around the great commission of Jesus Christ and the greatest commandment. That we recognize as a church we're here not just to kind of keep religious programming going or keep people entertained or just kind of wait around till heaven, but we are called as a church to live out the great commission of Jesus Christ. And we are here to do that in the spirit of the greatest commandment, which just simply means that we as the church, we want to go out there. We want to go out into this world, the people we live around, the people we work with, the people we encounter on the street. We want to go to them filled with the love of God and seek to bring them into the kingdom and seek to bring them into the family of God. And so when they come and and they say yes to Jesus Christ, they accept him as Lord and Savior and they come here, what do they find? They find a family that together is growing up in Jesus Christ. And so we're taking a journey as a church, you know? I'm kind of excited about it. But there's only one problem with this great commission and this greatest commandment, okay? Fulfilling this great commission. And I I probably should have told you this three months ago when I started preaching this. And, And the problem is that we cannot fulfill the great commission in our human strength. Human beings have never been able to really proclaim God in and of themselves. And, and if you have ever tried to save somebody, you know, man, I'm going to get that guy saved. Boy, if you've ever tried, you, you know how true this is. What I'm saying is without the plan, the specific plan of God, without the power of God in the church, without the passion of God within us, you can forget the Great Commission. It will never happen. This is the dilemma that the disciples faced, okay? The disciples and the first followers of Jesus Christ, this is the dilemma they faced right at the end of the Gospels. You know, Jesus has lived, he's died, we'll celebrate that today, and he's given them this great commission, and the great commission is, look, what I have been doing, now you guys get to go out and do it, right? Go out into all the world and make me known, proclaim me. Go out and do what you've seen me do. And so here are these disciples and these followers of Jesus Christ, and this sounds really great and really exciting, but I'm telling you, the disciples, these followers of Christ, they are painfully aware of the one problem that's in the way, which is them. You know, they've had moments in the gospel where they've gone out and they've tried to do it and get back with Jesus, and he's like, okay, okay, let's regroup. Let's regroup, guys, you know. Come on. I mean, they've seen him succeed. They've seen that, I mean, the most wretched sinner get saved just like that in his presence. They've seen sickness, you know, get lifted. All of this they've seen him do, and they know they can't do it. And see, the, the, the thing about this mission that they had is that it's still the same mission we have today. We have the same mission they had. And so for these disciples, after Christ has, has risen, I mean, they're sitting here going, man, I hear about this mission possible, but unless something drastically changes with this group of people, this is mission impossible. It will never happen. John Stott, who is, who, well, he was, he, he's in heaven now, but is my favorite commentator. I don't know if you have figured that out over the time you've heard me preach, but John Stott talks about the Great Commission. I love what he says. He says, you know, there can be no life, no new life without the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, there can be no understanding in people's minds, in their hearts, without the Holy Spirit. There can be no fellowship among, between people without the unity of the Spirit. There can be no lifelike character in people 
without the fruit of the Holy Spirit and for the church in every age, there can be no effective witness out there in the world without the Holy Spirit doing it through His church. Amen. Hey, right on, brother. I'm with you. And so, what happens? Well, right before the first church launches, you know, we're getting ready to launch into mission. Right before the first church launches into their great commission, Jesus just solves the problem. Uh, Luke writes about it in Acts 1, 4 through 5, and here is Jesus putting the fears of the church to rest about making him known in the world. Jesus says to the church, do not, or to his disciples, do not leave Jerusalem, but I want you to wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. Just as John baptized me with water, a few days from now, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Go and wait. And you can hear the disciples looking back at Jesus and going, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit will change everything for them. The disciples have known all along that it is the Holy Spirit in Jesus that's doing all this. So to hear that they're going to receive this Holy Spirit, these guys are, are grateful. And it's not just that they have to kind of add it up and put it together and tell, well, that's what he meant. Verse 8, what does Jesus say to them? He says, you will receive power when this Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll receive this power and you'll be my witnesses. You'll go out everywhere. You will make me known to people here, there, and everywhere to sound like Dr. Seuss. It's going to happen. This will be the difference maker, the Spirit of God in you. And I could just see the, the, the disciples now going, you know, the one thing we all hate to do is wait, but this one's going to be worth the wait. Because when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we will be like Jesus. We, we're going to have the same love he had, the same knowledge, the same effectiveness we are going to reach people for God and the kingdom of God like Jesus did it. And so what do the disciples do? Well, they got still. They waited. They did what Jesus said. In verses uh, 12 through 14, they go to Jerusalem. I don't know exactly what kind of a home it was, probably a two-story back in those days, but they go into an upper room. We know that it's, it's Mary, Jesus' mother, several other women, uh, the, the, the brothers of Jesus, and they wait together in prayer, united, persevering, constant prayer. They just wait for God to do it. Verse 15 tells us that all together, not in that room, but all together waiting and praying around Jerusalem, there's at least 120 of them. God come through for us. And then what happens? Well, you know what happens, don't you, Phil? I can see with the look on your face you know what happens. Pow, chapter 2, verse 1, on Pentecost. During the festival of weeks, suddenly the Holy Spirit comes on the church. And just so we're clear, okay, this isn't a trickle, okay? Or if you go to Bush Gardens today like I am this afternoon, I'll see you there if you show up. You know, it, this is not a misting fan of the Holy Spirit, right? It's not a steady stream. It is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, like a waterfall, is poured over the church. People are filled with the Holy Spirit. Joy, gladness. I mean, the Spirit of God comes upon them, and, 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 and the Spirit comes, and it's like the sound of a mighty windstorm. And suddenly, these believers, it, it, it appears as if there are flames of fire over their heads. And they are moved. They are moved to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit directs them. The whole thing is abnormal. 
It's, it's different, right? It's, it's, to quote Alice from Alice in Wonderland, it's curiouser and curiouser. But here's the thing. It's not just for the believers. There's 120, yes, we've got it. What is seen and heard is seen and heard by everybody. Everybody in the area. So the Holy Spirit has come not just for these, but the Holy Spirit has come for everyone in this moment. How do we know? Well, Luke tells us in, in verses 5 through 11, there were a lot of other people in Jerusalem that day. Okay, and let me, let me tell you where they came from. So, okay, so you've got people in Jerusalem from the Caspian Sea westward, from Asia Minor, from North Africa, from across the Mediterranean, and Luke even adds, you even have some Arabs sprinkled in in the mix, okay? All of these people hear this wind from heaven, they come running, and when they get there, they are bewildered. What is going on? And that's not just what I'm saying, that's what they're saying. Verse 7, how can this be? The, the, these Jews who are speaking this way, they're all from Galilee, okay? They've all come from Galilee. How in the world can they be speaking in our language, verses 11 and 12, declaring the wonderful things that God has done? They are preaching about how amazing, how incredible God is. How are they doing? What can this mean? So here they are. Peter is only happy to oblige. Peter stands up, it says. All right, Peter and the disciples, the other, the other disciples, they stand up, and Peter goes on to explain them, to them exactly what this is for the next 22 verses, okay? Now, I know 22 verses doesn't read like a lot, but that's a, that's a lot of airtime in Scripture, right? 22 verses, Peter declares exactly what is going on. He starts off, and he says, this is what was proclaimed, prophesied by the, by the prophet Joel years ago. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit, says the Lord. I'll pour it on men. I'll pour it out on women. I'll pour it out on young. I'll pour it out on old, on all my servants. Yeah. What a promise. What a gift, right? They will dream dreams, they will see visions, they will prophesy. I'll cause wonders in, in the heavens above and wonders on the earth below. And you know, the greatest illustration of all, like the one that you're watching right now with all these people speaking other languages. I will do this. And there is a reason. In all these ways, through my children, I am revealing myself to you those who don't yet know me, so that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so, and so here again, we see the purpose of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. For the church is good, yes. Do you love it when the Holy Spirit is poured out? Yes, we do, Mark Skipper, don't we? We love it, but it's not just for us, it's for them. That's what the whole purpose of the pouring out the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for, God making himself known. And then Peter goes on to explain exactly who the Lord is so there is no confusion, right? Because he just said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter goes on to make sure everyone understands exactly who the Lord is. It is Jesus Christ. And Peter, Peter points out, he, he talks about his life, he talks about his death, he talks about his resurrection, salvation, exaltation. And then Peter ends with this glorious phrase, quite famous now, especially among us, let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. That is what is happening now. God is revealing himself to you. Verse 38, I love this. 
Uh, by the way, have you ever had the experience of having someone proclaim Jesus to you and they kind of do it in the wrong spirit or there's a whole lot of flesh in it and you're like, ah, ah, get away? Or have you had someone do that to you? You know, it kind of bounces off. Well, verse 38, with the Spirit of God moving through Peter and him clearly proclaiming Jesus Christ, we see the opposite. Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said, brothers, brothers, in light of all this, what we have seen, what we have heard, seeing God at work like this, hearing about Jesus Christ, what should we do? Peter answers back, simple, repent, turn to the Lord, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then this Holy Spirit, which you have seen, well, this gift is for you. You'll receive it. You will receive it. Your children will receive it. All who are far away will receive it. And so the encouragement for the church of Jesus Christ is what moves us from being ordinary? You know, what is it that moves us from being religious people who, you know, have our lives together and, you know, we're moral? And what moves us from being normal human beings as we step out? It is the Spirit of the living God. The Holy Spirit that day made the disciples and the followers of Jesus Christ extraordinary. They go from mission impossible to mission extremely possible. And we know that because of verse 41. Uh, uh, the, the outcome of all this says those who believed in Christ and were baptized and added to the church that day, it was about 3,000 in all. 3,000 in an age without media, without bullhorns, without micro, 3,000. What a difference the Holy Spirit makes in the church. Am I right? Yeah, I'm right. Yeah, I know. It's good. So, this is obvious relevance for you and I at KPC. As we launch out, we are about the same mission that Jesus gave those disciples. We need the same Holy Spirit working in us, especially in our life and times. We need the Spirit of God. And listen, I know sometimes people go, oh, the Holy Spirit, yeah, it's a little scary. It's a little out there. It's a little out of my control. Exactly. Exactly. We need more than we can muster up. I'll tell you one thing that encourages me so much about the book of Acts, and it's kind of a, it's, it's kind of a trivia piece, but it really encourages me here. The book of Acts is like the only book in the Bible that doesn't have an ending. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, l listen to the last verse in Acts. It reads this way. Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And then you turn the page... And, and there's Romans 1. You know, it's, it's kind of like you're reading a novel and you're getting right up to the good part. And you turn it and it's just, this, it's another book. It's easy to get frustrated. Commentators, theologians for centuries have been united in why there is no ending to the book of Acts. It is because we are the ending to the book of Acts. Yeah. The church that comes next in every generation is the end of the book of the act. Listen to this. Y'all want to hear an old quote from a guy in 1895. He says this, probably some Englishman, Arthur T. Pearson. He wrote this. He said, Church of Christ, the records of these acts of the Holy Ghost have never reached completeness. This is the one book which has no proper close because it waits for new chapters to be added so fast and so far as the people of God shall reinstate the blessed Holy Spirit in his holy seat of control. 1895, and he just gets it. And I hope that encourages you. I hope that calls out to you. 
Man, to know that, 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 that God would love to just get a hold of us and use us like this. The new wine, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, the new wine of the Holy Spirit is available for the church today, okay? Scripturally. Now, having said that, we also have to remember what Jesus said about wineskins. This is where we really come into play here. Uh, Jesus talks about wineskins in Luke 5, 36 through 38, and he says this. He says, you don't pour new wine into old wineskins. Okay, now, why don't you do that? Y'all know the answer, right? What happens to the wineskins? They break, right? New wine has yet to undergo the, the, the fullness of fermentation. You put it in an old wineskin, it's going to burst wide open. So, Jesus says, look, you only pour new wine uh, into new wineskins. And so, the question we have to ask ourselves as the people of God is, what kind of a wineskin am I? What kind of a wineskin am I? Are you? Are we? Are we a new wineskin that is ready for the new wine of the Holy Spirit? Or are we an old wineskin that God will not pour new wine into? Because this is one of those yous when Jesus says you, he's talking about him. I'm not pouring it into an old wineskin. And, and then the big question is, how do we know? How do we know if we're an old wineskin? Now, I'll answer that in three different ways, okay? One way you know if you're an old wineskin is if you are unsaved and you have not asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, okay? Jesus Christ brings newness of life to us. He takes away death. It is a second birth. We are new. When we get saved, we are eligible for the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, there can be some blockages in the way that can be taken care of, but outside of Jesus Christ, there is not filling of the Holy Spirit. So that's one way that you're an old wineskin. Now, in context, there is another way that you can tell if you're an old wineskin, uh, and, and Jesus actually refers to it here in Luke 5.39, and, and I'll say this gently, and I'm not thinking of anybody when I say this, okay? So, if you get offended, hey, I didn't mean it. Um, Jesus says this. He says, no one after drinking old wine wants the new wine. They say the old is better. Jesus, in context, is talking to Pharisees and Jews. He's talking to religious people. And he is speaking about the tendency we have of encountering God at a certain point in our life, certain kind of music, certain kind of message, certain kind of programming, and then what happens? Time goes by, and another generation comes along, and they begin to express themselves to God. They begin to do things a little differently. It's very easy to be an old wineskin in that moment and go, you know what, the way we did it was best, the old wine was best, this new wine is no good, can't stand those drums, don't know what, you know, we can get stuck and, and there's one thing to appreciate where you came from. Oh, God, may we never despise our heritage. That's, that's a great thing. But if it leaves us with an aversion to anything new that God might be doing, that's an old wineskin right in context here. here. Here's another one, all right? Here's another way we can tell if we're an old wineskin. And this is pretty current, okay? Acts 2, 17 and Acts 1, 4 through 8. In Acts 2, 17... Peter is explaining the Holy Spirit to the people. You remember, they hear the languages and they say, what is this? Peter answers back with the prophecy from Joel and he says this, in the last days. Stop right there, okay? Peter is answering a question many people ask in our life and times, which is when are the last days? He's just told us. The last days began when the Spirit of God was poured out at Pentecost. Folks, we are in the last days. 
We've been in the last days for a little while. Now, hold on to that thought and go back with me to Acts 1, 4 through 8, and listen to this exchange. Jesus tells the disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit, right? Go to Jerusalem, wait for the gift my Father is going to give you. Have you ever noticed what the disciples say back to Jesus? They say back in verse 6, Lord, is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You, you hear what's happening there? Jesus is talking to them about being anointed and empowered for mission. They're jumping ahead to the end of time, dates and things which are to come, prophetic things that are beyond their reach. Listen to Jesus' response to them, verses 7 and 8. Jesus, because it, it's powerful, all right? Jesus said, guys, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by His own authority. It's not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus' answer to their question, oh, Lord, is this, now is this when this is going to happen? Jesus just says, hey, you know what? You be faithful to the mission. You leave the end to God. All right? Now, in other words, what Jesus is saying is, look, there is a last day's mindset. The last day's mindset is, I have been given a mission. I have been filled with the love of God. I have been given the power of the Holy Spirit. The rest of my life, the reason I am down here is to infect this world for Jesus Christ. It is to make Him known. That is the last day's mindset. I am here to be faithful to do that. That's what we're called to do, last day's mindset, not end times obsession. And there is a big difference. Listen, listen to what Jesus says about the last days, and tell me if this doesn't sound eerily, eerily right now, okay? He says, many false prophets will appear, and they will deceive many. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, all right? I really believe this is the Spirit of God, okay? But y'all can test this, all right? What is Jesus talking about right here, okay? False prophets, it's pretty easy. You know, somebody shows up, they're saying something contrary to the Word of God, right? It's heretical or it's so extra biblical, you can't even tie it in. Okay, false prophets, we can figure that out. They will come and they will deceive many. And wickedness will increase. That's the question. What does Jesus mean by wickedness? Is he talking about sin? Well, yeah, sure he is. You know, sin abounds in every age. But wickedness that's tied to hearing the deceit of false prophets and a love that grows cold. You know what he's talking about? Jesus is talking about fear. He is talking about people coming and they got a message, okay? And by the way, let me just say this. They are selling product, Straight up, they're selling product. But they come, they peddle their stuff. People get, get, get filled with fear. And just as per, the perfect love coming from God drives out fear, doesn't it? Well, you know what? It works the other way too. When we listen to those who deceive, fear increases and it just shrinks the love that we have for God. I think we really need to hear this today, okay? Every, every little while, my, I'll tell you this quick story. My grandfather lived to be 101. I may have told it before, but if not, just act like, act like I never have, and I'll feel good. My grandfather lived to be 101. I remember in the 70s, you know, I'm this little squirt. I'm about 10 years old, and my parents have been reading a book that anybody who was around in the 70s read. There were two or three of them, and um, the, the guy who wrote the books was a really good guy, loved Jesus, but he was really off base. 
in some ways when it came to the end of the world. So my parents are talking about this and, you know, oh, have you, you know, and the companion book and they're, they're just all jacked up in end times, you know, just all obsessed and fearful and frantic. <laughs> my grandfather, I'm sitting on the porch and I'm, I'm mimicking my parents talking about this. He looked at me and he's Cajun, Louisiana. Okay. I can't do his accent, but he goes, Steve, I'm going to tell you something. He was like in his late, he was early nineties by then. He said, I, I have lived for almost a hundred years. All right. I have lived through World War I, the Great Depression, World War II, the Korean conflict, the Cuban Missile Crisis, the Vietnam War. I, about every 10, 15 years, the same thing happens over and over. This is the end. This is it. Everybody get ready. You know? And Christians get all fetal and scared and forget about mission. You know, they're all, you know, oh my gosh, it's good. You know, what are we going to do? He says, look. Jesus is going to come when he's good and ready, and I guarantee you there will not be a person who calls it just right. It just won't happen. It just won't happen. And so today, in love as a shepherd, I call these guys false prophets. Do not give them the time of day. You can say, well, Steve, how, you know, that's judgmental. How could you say that? Oh, yeah? Listen to what they're talking about. Guillotines, asteroids, body bags. I mean, come on, folks. No, it's laughable. Look at what they're selling. But more importantly, look at what it produces in the lives of those who listen to them. It is fear. Look at how it motivates you to live. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord. Jesus makes this clear as well. A little further down in Matthew 24, 42 and 44, he says how we are to live in the last days. In those verses, he tells us to do something. He says, number one, watch. You know what watch means? It means watch, exactly right. It means keep your eyes open and pray. And, and then he also says, be ready. And then he defines what readiness means for the people of God. Being ready is just being faithful to do what our master has called us to do until he returns. And so you might say, well, well, Steve, what do you do when you hear about stuff like this? You know, blood moons, for example, what do you do? You know what I do when I hear about blood moons? I get really interested and, uh, and, and, and I pray and I watch and I also really enjoy the history of this because there are fascinating biblical connections. I mean, it's, 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 it's neat stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. Watching and, and, and praying like that, but when that turns into obsession, when that turns into fear, when, when that results in you dreading the month of September, I'll be glad when September's over. Really? You know, when, when you're out buying dried goods, digging a bunker, something is wrong because that's not how it ends. That's not how the story ends. It isn't. Listen, here, here's the deal. If this really is the end, what should our posture be? The king is coming back. Oh my gosh. You know, and I'm going to be faithful to the mission because I want to usher in the bridegroom. Man, I, I, I want to take as many with me as I can. That's the way it ends. That's the posture of the church of Jesus Christ. It's joy. Y'all, we just sang it. Redeeming love shall be my theme until I die. We just sing. That's us. That's you and me. So look, here's the thing. Jesus meant for us to leave the times and the dates to God. He called us to commit ourselves to his mission, to wait and to pray 
and to seek, and listen, I'm serious, seek the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In that waiting, and so, y'all, sometimes God will do that. Sometimes God will make you wait. Lord, would you baptize me in your spirit? Sometimes God will say, you know what? I need to pause because I need to do a little bit of wineskin work on you first. Some of you are in a waiting place because God is he's making you into that new wineskin. He, he's working on giving you that softer heart, filling you with love, working on issues like obedience. Man, I tell you, I, I, man, I've been around that, that hill so many times in my life, giving us compassion to a world in need. But I tell you, in the end, God would have us filled with his power and to go out there and make him known everywhere, 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 everywhere. And that's what the next stage of our journey is all about. So, Pastor Neil, I think I have preached long enough. Would you come up and lead us into communion? And then we save the best for last, all right? We'll have ministry right after they they, uh, sing to us.